Enrollment is open for Thomas's upcoming six-session live online course, Navigating the Levels of Trauma Healing. Explore how to work with the impacts of collective crises and challenges and learn tools to manage anxiety, overwhelm, and nervous system dysregulation during times of accelerated change and disruption. In this all-new curriculum, Thomas and expert guest speakers will engage in ecosystemic practices to collectively explore our resilience, agency, and capacity to stay present and find deeper meaning. Click the link in our show notes to learn more and enroll. Or go to www.navigatingthelevelsoftrauma.com. Welcome to Point of Relation with Thomas Hubel, a podcast that illuminates the path to collective healing at the intersection of science and mysticism. In his conversations with visionaries, innovators, artists, and healers, Thomas invites guests into a relational experience that allows inspiration and innovation to emerge. This is The Point of Relation. Our guest for today's episode is Ruby Gibson. A woman of Lakota Ojibwe and Mediterranean descent, Dr. Gibson has spent the past 40 years dedicated to the craft and science of historical trauma reconciliation, cultural healing, and generational well-being amongst Native and Indigenous peoples. Dr. Gibson developed the transgenerational trauma recovery model, Somatic Archaeology, and is the author of My Body, My Earth, The Practice of Somatic Archaeology, and My Body, My Breath, a tool for transformation. We hope you enjoy this conversation. First of all, I'm very grateful that you made the time for us and that we can have this exciting conversation. I'm looking forward to it and I'm, I have many questions or interests, so I'm happy you're here. So first of all, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Mm. And um, when you hear ancestral healing, Maybe you can frame for us a little bit, I don't know, your view on that, how, what you hear, how you experience that, what is um, the world of ancestral healing for you, just to, to dive a bit with you into your understanding. And then, and then let's see how we emerge our conversation from there. But I'm very interested what ancestral healing, or healing ancestral trauma, trauma in our lineage, um, how that shows up for you, what's your experience of it, how does it work in your understanding, all, all that, like your universe of it. Okay. I'll try to be as succinct as possible here. Um, I don't refer to it as ancestral healing mm -hmm. I, because the healing is really not of the ancestor. It's of the person. It, anyways, it, you know, I, I call it uh, historical trauma recovery or, you know, something along those lines, but um, I can understand that catchphrase that has that has come. I've been doing this work for 35 years. 
doing uh, historical trauma work. And, um, you know, it's been a fascinating experience, especially within our community. So our um, community is in Rapid City, South Dakota, and, and we have, um, we work on the Pine Ridge Reservation. And um, it's probably the poorest county in the United States. And it's, um, it's a horrible um, life and way to live. It's, you know, it's very challenging. There's good aspects about it, but our goal is um, the future of Native wellness. So I look at it as a medicine that can help us reorganize um, wounds within ourselves or wounds within the culture in order to step forward. So I developed something called somatic archaeology. And um, that's what my book is about. And my primary work is all about that. And it has been a spiritually driven um, work. And um, we're able to raise funding so that we can provide um, these services to our relatives in that area um, because they are very, very poor. It's the poverty. Mm. So, so we raise money and then we train and teach people and then they go out into their communities and, and they do the work. So we're kind of like Johnny Appleseed planting lots of seeds everywhere, mm -hmm. hoping that our vision of a different future for Native wellness will come. So I always begin um, by saying that I appreciate and honor all my relatives and those who've come before me and, and the ones who come after me, that I stand at a bridge, um, like an apex. And when I stand here, I have seven generations behind me, seven generations ahead of me, and I'm right here in the middle. And it's such a potent place to be. From this place, we can affect what's happened and what will happen. We have so much power that we don't even know or know how to utilize or can conceptualize. Um, so the body has been my greatest teacher mm. and, um, and the land. Mm. So um, I'm not sure if I'm going the direction that, you know, but I can keep sharing a few more things. Oh, please do. It's fascinating. I'm fascinated. So I'm, and I love the transmission that you transmit into the space. So please keep going. Yeah, that's very good. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was 13, I started to do healing work. And the very first thing that happened to me was I was riding my horse home from work. And I was going through a meadow and the horse 
came upon a deer standing in the meadow, just one single deer. And the horse stopped and I looked at the deer and she looked straight at me and said, please don't eat us. It's not your way. And I said, okay. And I haven't since that day eaten a piece of meat. And so that was 50 some years ago. And my teachings began with the earth, began with coming into relationship with all four worlds, the mineral world, the plant world, animal world, and the human world. Mm-hmm. Because all are equal. All are important, all rely on each other for survival. So when we think of ourselves, um, we think of the great circle of life that's around us. And and we think of all the components, what's beneath us, what's above us, what's what are we dancing in? And we so we use the sacred medicine wheel. Um from the Lakota traditions, um, which I'm, I'm Lakota and um, part Ojibwe and um, also part Italian <laughs> or Spanish. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm a mixed blood woman. And it's... Um, since I was 13, my journey has been all about healing. And I became a licensed massage therapist. And I I didn't want to um, have to box myself into a university or a college because they weren't teaching me what I needed. So I started teaching or studying with um, medicine men. I studied in Australia. With the Aboriginal people. I studied in Canada with First Nations. I studied Mexico with the Otomi. I've studied um, numerous tribes around the United States because I wanted to understand the medicine. And um, I was adopted by Grandfather Frank Fulsgrove, who is was the spiritual leader of the Ogallala Sioux. And he was an amazing man. He's passed on now, but um, I became a, a adoptive parent for six or eight of his great-grandchildren. And I spent a few years of my life just caring for the people, caring for the children. Mm-hmm. It was It was beautiful. You know, it's a beautiful time that that all good things have a beginning and an end. So um, I just kept, I kept, I had a drive inside of me. And I spent, gee, maybe from the time I was 15 until I was 35, I meditated for one hour every day for 20 years and 
it allowed me to deepen inside of my body, inside of my spirit. And I began to um, have conversations with the unseen world. Um, I studied magic, shamanism, you know, all sorts of things because I was hungry, so hungry. And um, I fed myself regularly. Like I got in um, some very challenging situations, but I was always taken care of. And um, one day, Thomas, I had this dream. And the dream was that I was driving to a sweat lodge ceremony, you know, our NEPR sacred ceremonies. And um, there was a grandmother next to me and there was a medicine man in the back seat with his dog. And we were driving, driving. The grandmother said, oh, granddaughter, turn here. I said, no, grandmother, I know where I'm going. I kept going. Said, granddaughter, I really think you should turn. And I said, oh, no, we're late. And I know how to get there. Third time, granddaughter, you should turn. And I said, no, I'm almost there. And the next thing I know, the road turns to gravel and crosses a creek and goes up a hill. And there's this park up there with all these people lying on the sun and eating and things. And we stopped the car and I thought, well, this isn't the Anipi. Where are we? And I looked around and I didn't recognize anyone. And the medicine man got out of the car and the grandmother got out of the car and the police showed up and arrested the medicine man for having a dog in the park and everything started getting chaotic. And I was standing there scratching my head and I looked over at the grandmother and she winked at me. And um, she whispered in my ear, the moral of the story, granddaughter, is to always let the grandmothers drive. So in that way, <laughs> I have a group of grandmothers and they are a large group. And um, I'm not, I mean, I'm not the center of it. It's, it's a spiritual group that's out to heal the planet people it's like um you know like mother teresa that's how that's how they are and um they started guiding me and as they guided me and opened doors i was able to um, begin this nonprofit group and develop the work in a way. So like now we're researching and evaluating it and I'm publishing papers on the work, which I never would have done before because I'm a real giveaway girl. I just, my heart's for the people. So I, I give. Um, probably more than I should, but 
that's just who I am. So um, it allowed us to get some great funding. Um, the, yeah, it's just kind of a long story, but in short, somatic archaeology was a vision. And in our tradition, we use a medicine wheel to track everything. The four stages of life, the, you know, protection. I mean, the, the medicine wheel is representative of the whole universe, the whole experience. And so I know if I can take a model and put it on the medicine wheel and it holds water, that it's um, good. And I had to do that with somatic archaeology. I had to start taking the steps because as I was doing massage, I would find someone would feel better and then they would come back with the same pain. And so I would say, well, what's under that? What's under that? What's under that? And we began digging or excavating and it happened quite naturally. And and then it kept happening. And and then I noticed people were getting really well, whether it was a physical symptom or emotional or spiritual, they were able to, to find this recovery. And so I started working on people and training people, but I hadn't I, I hadn't reached that point where, yes, let's take this work into a community and let it flourish. And the grandmothers gave me, gave us the opportunity. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's um, so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. The grandmothers gave us the opportunity to have some un unlimited funding. And uh, we've touched in the past eight years millions of lives. And mm -hmm. so you know when you know when you come to a point in life and you just feel like you're a hundred percent ready that there's nothing in your way. Mm. That's that's what happened. Mm. I I had done enough of my own work, my own recovery work, that I was like completely there. And and the work just started moving through me and articulating. So I watched your presentation the other day on the uh, uh, that you gave this weekend or something. I watched the video and I um, I really enjoyed listening to you talk because that passion for cultural trauma healing is really what's in my heart. Mm. And how do we rebuild, you know, those wounds? And how do we rebuild the people? How do we remember without wanting to be unconscious? You know, it's like a fine line. And um, it's that way 
with our people. I'm sure it's that way there as well. Um, you know, we have a lot of communities of people who have been taken over or controlled or, you know, the um, conquistadors did some pretty big damage for our people. So. Um, anyways, it's been a long journey and I'm happy to be at this place in my life right now. Um, because now I get to write and think of bigger things. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna open a historical trauma recovery center. Oh wow. In Rapid City as our first, you know prototype and then and then we'll see how how the people do if we can maintain our funding and it's um i can see the transformation i can already feel the potential of it so mm -hmm. <laughs> it's so lovely first of all I deeply enjoy your transmission, like what you transmit when you speak is so beautiful. And it touched me also, like two things to underline that I hear when I listen to you. One is when you said when you do enough in a work that that there is a point or you experience the point when you started to ride the wave, like when it's 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 like the energy takes over and the limitations are not anymore the strings that feel like a limitation i think that's a beautiful description so i just want to underline what you said is it touched me and the other one is also when you speak about the grandmothers I, and i feel your deep connection and how it touches your heart and how you transmit that it's really beautiful and it's a beautiful honoring also of on the one hand, the collective, but also the lineage is so much in, in it when you speak. So it's it's very honoring and uh, respectful and deep. So thank you for that. And uh, and I also like your <laughs> the spark in your eyes when you speak about the bigger vision. That's so beautiful because I think we need that to grow into. And then it's lovely when you speak about it. And I will come back to the bigger vision in a moment. I would love to... Also, for everybody listening to our conversation, I would love to hear a bit more because I'm very interested in different ways of doing the digging that you said, because I'm very passionate about digging. And so like the the revealing layers of the archaeology, the somatic archaeology, maybe you can speak a little bit about how you how you do that or what is how you how the process looks like. And um, I think that's going to be very interesting for us to get your transmission on that. There are five steps to somatic archaeology. Mm -hmm. Really simple. Because I don't think trauma is hard to heal. Not, not if you have the right tools. Mm -hmm. I... <laughs> like getting over a bump in the road, you know. Uh, the first step is I notice. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole wheel. Noticing yourself 360 degrees. 
what's happening inside, what's happening outside, what's, uh, where's the most tension? What are you holding? You know, we, we just kind of do an overview and intake and get a sense of, of the history. And sometimes we do a timeline at that period where we, here you are when you were born, here you are now. And then we kind of track all those things because I've experienced that people have bundles of trauma and teasing them apart helps them to resolve it because mm -hmm. sometimes the way that we bind our trauma in our body is for safekeeping, but there comes a time when it's no longer useful. Mm -hmm. So we notice. And so if someone says, well, I notice that I keep getting the stomach ache, you know, or I have anxiety, muscle reflexes. Okay. Take a few deep breaths in to that area. And we do this thing that I call breathe, ground, settle. So we breathe in, exhale down, settle on our bones. I teach this in grade school. The kids love it. <laughs> we breathe, ground, settle. Usually we do things three times because three is the number of creation. Huh? One is the seed. Two is the root and three is the flower. So we want something to flower. We say it three times. Anyway, as we look at that person, they're having this pain here. We take three deep breaths. And then I ask them to feel from the inside out. What do you notice? What do you sense in there? What's around it? And, and we get into the step two of I sense. And it's the language of the body because our body doesn't speak in English or Spanish or anything. It speaks in, in sensation. And so being able to decipher sensation is part of the learning and part of their own awareness of themselves of how they're managing. So we sense, we sense, we find that place and it can be um, dense, it can be solid, it can be in the egg shape, it can be, I mean, our body comes up with so many beautiful ways of managing things that, you know, you just got to listen and your body will show you once you take the time and you slow down, come out of your head into your skin and we start to feel from the inside out. And what emerges is a bit of a story. Oh, well, you know, I might ask questions like, when was the first time you felt that? Or anyone else in your family have that same experience? Uh, 
Um, you know, we track to see if it's um, a familiar situation, if it's individual, simply based on sensation. And it's it's only important because you're going from I notice to I sense to I, I feel. So we, we start in the center of the wheel and notice go to the west, I sense, we go to the south, I feel. And that's the place of emotion. It can be tears, laughter, shaking, some kind of movement occurs. And those three steps are probably the most important. I notice, I sense, and then letting whatever they're sensing make its way through, it emerges. From that point, we go to the north of the wheel, which is I interpret. So it's like a bottom-up neurophysiological process, which is what a lot of somatic therapies in, you know, currently um, work with. I grew up near Boulder, Colorado, and that's where Peter Levine lived. We were friends and um, we were both developing. He was developing somatic experiencing while I was developing somatic archaeology. There was like a seedbed here of all sorts of people who began coming up with these ideas, and they were all based on that same principle. So if you understand the body's neurophysiology, it's going to um, help you watch and track what changes in that person. And so for me, it's a lot about being present and maybe giving little guidance along the way. But once you notice, you sense, you feel, and then all that energy comes up into your head and you're like, oh, that's why I, mm. and you start analyzing and kind of putting it into place in, in your mind and in your life. And then the last step is called I reconcile. And reconciliation is, um, so who are you when you're no longer carrying that baggage? And then we help them dream forward, you know, through the pineal and, and, you know, start to envision who they are when they're not holding something or feeling anxious or in pain. You know, who are you when you're free from that? And then we work until we do a session and come back once a week. It takes seven days or one quarter of a moon cycle to clear out all of that um, energy that got released into their energy field. And then it takes seven days for it to purge through. So when we come back seven days later and do it again. Very beautiful description. Thank you for being so precise and like uh, really guiding it. It's very like 
easy to get, especially when you feel it in the body, how you speak about it. That's very beautiful. And um, and uh, when you now transition back to from, so that's something that we do in our individual or personal, however we call it, like experience. If we, we translate that to maybe like the cultural application of it, like how, how can we think of somatic archaeology in the archaeology of, of a society or a community or, you know, a group? Is there is there an equivalent in your work that do you do this uh, with individuals or also in in group spaces or for the cultural trauma archaeology? Uh, is this working every time through the individual? Of course, it works through the individual, but is there anything about the collective space that is true too in that sense? Maybe you can speak a bit to your understanding here, like how the cultural traumatization um gets affected or can be worked on okay um that's the we have three wheels the wheel of suffering the wheel of healing and the wheel of transformation <laughs> so this is what i was sharing with you i notice i sense i feel i interpret i reconcile and what do you notice now? Mm-hmm. That's one session. That's another session. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, I wanted to keep it very simple. You also spoke about the bigger vision of your center and how the work's expanding. Like how, how does cultural transformation happen in, in your understanding? Or how do we work also on cultural traumatization? Like the trauma we all have been born into in our societies and that shaped us, that conditioned us, that we are looking through, that we often even don't notice at first because it's so normal or so regular. And we need to, I mean, as you've described, you described your own spiritual journey and takes a detoxification process or like a cleansing. And maybe you can speak about whatever comes up in you when you hear me speak about it, how this lives in you and in your work. Our cultures, probably all, I think we have like 360 tribes in the United States. And all those different cultures are so... um, hesitant sometimes to share or to expose themselves. Um, We have been under duress for 500 plus years, and there has never been any normalization. And, you know, it's uh, um, poverty um, is is devastating. Housing is is terrible. Diet. Um, Ceremonies are good. Lots of alcoholism, meth use, and um, drug use. Uh, They banned um, alcohol on the reservation. But people still drink. And 
they approved marijuana. So you have this big state, Republican state of South Dakota. And then we have these reservations that are, you know, their own um, culture, community lands. And, you know, it's um, it can be very isolating, but it can also create a boundary of safety for the people to be around their people. Oh, because if you're if you're native, people know and they connect with you. Because there's, you know, we've all gone through so many changes. The tribes that were once warring with each other are now having, you know, have had to learn to come together because it's really survival of a pool of people that's, you know, um, weak. And so um, we have some very strong um, elders and helpers. But what we have is a group of youth. They have the highest suicide rate in the United States per capita. And I spent one entire year at a school where they only had a hundred native kids. And out of that hundred native kids, I think um, 20 had committed suicide that year. And and there was no help, and it was a really, really bad situation. I dropped everything. I went to Montana, and I worked there. I, I got wrote a grant, got them a counselor, or two counselors, and I started working with the kids. I started changing the culture of the the entire, you know, identification of the teachers, you know, who are trying to deal with all this because they had no counselors. And um, at the end of the year, when graduation came in May, that year that I was there, we only had one suicide. And it doesn't take that much. I I know how to do it, or the grandmothers know how to do it, and I've been very very successful with um, youth suicide. So we we work a lot with kids because they're our future, and um, because they need help. Uh, they don't have too much to look forward to, and. Uh, a lot of their friends commit suicide. And then everybody's grieving, grieving, you know, and then it, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a rough, it's a rough place. There's games and, you know, all sorts of things going on, but there's also such beauty. I mean, it's just incredible how beautiful the people are and how they use laughter as a way of dealing with their grief. And 
and how we come together at ceremonial times, sun dances and, you know, ceremonies. That's so important. You know, I see so many people doing work, but without helping someone to really embody their spirit, um, it seems to like be off in a different <laughs> dimension or something. But um, my doctorate is in theology and psychology. And I've studied all the world religions and what we as um, Native American people have in our culture is that really, really strong spiritual connection to our ancestors, to our lands, and to the people. So I, I feel in our community, we're not even allowed to build the Indian center, even though it's the home, it's where, it's the Black Hills of South Dakota, you know? It's the, the birthland, it's the place the people emerged from the earth in. And um, it's, it's so Republican and the governor wants to take all Indian um, history out of history books state. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, we're dealing with racism. So I have to be so bold you know, and um, I think it's time. I think it's just time to say, all right, you know, Indian health services run by government is not very effective. So let's help people get well. And that's my, that's my mission. And if we can do it and we can document what we're doing, um, I think it'll be a beautiful um, model for, you know, other colleagues to be able to work in their in their communities. So, you know, I it's a little bit precarious. Um, I feel pretty bold making these statements, but. My heart and my vision and these grandmothers will not let me rest until we do this. <laughs> yeah, I I can totally feel that when you say it. Right, right. And so first First of all, it touches me very much. And I'm also really sorry to hear like some of the things that uh, are going on or the, the, the suppression and the racism that's that's happening. And, and I'm wondering also, because to me, it always feels like such a challenge also how to do trauma healing when ongoing trauma is happening the whole time, basically, there's no rest kind of so that uh, that we can recover in in a kind of very safe space because the the cause that caused it stopped so that's not happening so i'm wondering how like what are ways to do like that kind of inner healing work that basically opens us up 
and 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 reconnect us to do that while permanently there is racism or re-traumatization happening uh and can you speak a bit to 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 that uh because i think it's very important to because there are different you know you can do trauma work in places where the traumatization stopped and you're dealing with the aftermath or we need to deal with the historic trauma while the traumatization is going on which is much more complex and so maybe you can speak to us a bit of your experience of how to do that well or maybe also what are, what can not go well when we start opening traumatizations while it's still going on yeah i think it's probably pretty different from culture to culture um you know in our lands we say today's a good day i'm above ground you know i mean it's it's kind of a survival base there are people who are very functional and very healthy and doing great things and then there's a lot of people who who are really suffering and when i first started there um opened the freedom lodge our nonprofit group there um uh, I started talking about historical trauma. People just sat there and looked at me. They didn't even know what to say. Or people would say there's no such thing as historical trauma or you know who are you? <laughs> I mean it didn't it was difficult to get it past the adults um specifically because we have a lot of um anglo teachers on the reservation which is always kind of contrary in some ways but people are slowly slowly repairing themselves and their lives but it's the kids who have come into all the kind of mud and muck of of all that history you know from i mean just everything i'm not i'm not going to go into it but probably like age 10 to 20 is where i think transformation can happen within our community and if you get the kids involved the parents will get involved if they're not in jail we have a lot of our men are in jail over i mean huge um disproportionate amount in in south dakota but there's a lot of women who run their families and raise their kids and um we have a word it's called tioshpe and tioshpe means the bigger family like not just mom and dad and kids but all the relatives all the you know uncles aunties and you know the tioshpes 
are big. And when that information, when someone improves or changes, there can be a really good um, kind of response from the community. But, and, and this comes from trauma. What happens is it's like lobsters in a bucket. As one person climbs up to get better, the rest pull them down as they're trying to go. So people are shamed for not, for getting better sometimes. And that for me is the crux of of the issue we have here. I don't know um, as in depth in other communities, but. To me, everything you said so far makes a lot of sense. Like everything lends very clearly in my body and I, I can resonate with every word you're saying. That's why I feel very connected to many things from the work that you do to the collective work. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Also the, this like sometimes on the one hand this this loyalty to the trauma and when we get better like what happens in the person but also what happens in the community that dynamic i think is very interesting to look at and then also like what we sometimes feel is the hierarchy of trauma between different communities or different populations who, who like the scarcity at the base of trauma like the the lack of so many things that creates this vacuum and so i'm always i'm always um looking how we can create spaces to embrace that vacuum and and bring generosity into the deep felt sense of scarcity that comes with uh, ongoing and collective traumatization. And I, and I see this also in, in, as you said, because you asked if that makes sense also how it's in other communities. I, I have experienced that also with the healing, like climbing out and pulling down. I have seen this in different places. I think that's a very interesting dynamic to look at what is actually on a deeper level happening there. Uh, yeah, so if everything, you, sorry, go ahead. If you're stuck, you want everybody to be stuck with you. Mm. Mm. It's, uh, I don't know, it's a twisted way of thinking, but that's what trauma does, you know. Mm. Um, and again, not everyone's like that. We have some really healthy and dynamic and kind of like fighters in our community. Mm-hmm. They're, um, they, they really want to improve, but they don't want, we don't want help from the outside community. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a, uh, People come and they try to do things, but if we can build it in-house, it's going to make a big difference rather than dropping in and doing a little workshop for kids on trauma and then 
leave. Exactly. <laughs> you know? No, I know exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's why like when you when I heard your vision and I felt your how your spirit lit up when you spoke about it, like that that is so touching. That's why I said it at the beginning. That was a touching moment for me to listen to you because I think that's so needed. And and I think to me everything you feel you say feels very, very aligned and connected. Also the way you speak about it feels very embodied to me and I can I can directly like receive without any mediated complicated uh kind of interface so this yeah i'm i'm deeply touched by your work and i i'm i'm so happy you're doing all you're doing and i would be very happy to be in any way of support or connected and stay connected i think there is some you're doing a beautiful work it touches me when i listen to you yeah. When I was watching you, I had that same experience. <laughs> and I was mm. like, oh, he's on the same page. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's what I feel the whole time. And I listened exactly what you're saying now. I felt also this deep resonance and the deep. And I think many things, how, also how you describe the somatic archaeology work, I mean, that's very close to how, how I experience it too. And uh, also, this, yeah, very much so. And also the spiritual um, dimension that you bring in and this deep respect for the lineage of spirit uh, that is very beautiful. I think in the, in the, especially in the Western modern world, I feel that there's something very precious has been lost when we don't, don't respect that the, the lineages and the elders and the, where we come from. So this feels deeply touching to me. Been playing with this new idea of um, I call it blood and bones, and taking um, groups of Native women to some of the battlegrounds and burial sites of our people, and um, and praying for them to cross over because sometimes they just get stuck in that battleground and then it makes the ancestors or the the next generation stuck too so it's all it's for mother earth because she's the one who's holding it so we're looking to lighten her load and as well to have a place for people to grieve and to just really kind of know they're doing a good thing and setting their relatives free. Um, I think that has never been done at the scale that it needs to be done. I think people have done it in their own little communities, but, you know, they're still um, finding grave sites, especially of children. I mean, they just recently found a couple of them because children were put in boarding schools in their forced boarding schools and um, they would die and they wouldn't tell their parents they just bury them it, I mean <laughs> it's just the pain is so great but the healing the call for healing so that we can be strong again as people. Um, I think it can really change because 
you know, most Native people feel like they're the caretakers of the earth. I mean, it's that's our primary relationship is with our mother. And Mother Earth has a mother. She has a lineage too, right? And so, you know, it's important to honor her lineage because um, her grandmothers and great-grandmothers are not very happy the way we're treating their daughter. <laughs> so we want to go to those places and just pray and ask for forgiveness and release the ancestors from those battlegrounds so that we can settle down. I mean, the cultural work piece is big. I, it daunts me. Um, and that's why I'll do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. It's like a challenge, huh? That's right. That's right. And so important. I think, uh, I mean, I saw this when in the first 20 years ago, when I started to work mainly in, in Europe and also in, in Germany after the World War and the Holocaust. And it's, it's uh, very similar to what you described. It's like, how much, how many kind of souls didn't cross over and, and you can feel the depletion or the depression in the in the field. And it's it's very similar. We had very similar experiences to what you shared right now, and also mm -hmm. how you feel the liberation when it opens up and and uh, and it can start to move again, and it's it's moving on. So how it changes our life today, and I think I'm so I, I think that's very important cultural work. Um, yeah. Well, I would I would love to do some kind of project or work with you. So um, uh, just because it feels like um, we could support each other. Very much so. I felt it the whole time. So I'm happy you're saying this. I, I would love that too. And um, and maybe we, we stay connected and see what are ideas that are coming up for us. If you have ideas, you and I will write to you and then we see what feels right. But there's such a strong resonance. There's for sure something that can be born through us. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was very deep, very close. It touched me. It was a very profound to listen to you. So thank you. Thanks for listening to Point of Relation with Thomas Hubel. Stay connected by visiting our website, pointofrelationpodcast.com, and by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review and share about us with your community on social media. Thank you. We appreciate your support.